0: You're listening to the Resolute Men Podcast. We have conversations with men who share how putting their faith into action has changed their lives and has empowered them to impact others. Now, on to today's episode. I'm really excited to have Tolyan Chavision, who is a graduate of International University, where he received a degree in philosophy and reformed theological seminary in Orlando, where he earned his Master of Divinity. Tullian and his wife, Stacy have been married since August 2016, and together they have five children and two grandchildren. He is also the founder of the Sanctuary Church, a church in Jupiter, Florida, and is the grandson of evangelists Billy and Ruth Graham. Tullian is also an author of eight books and has also appeared on numerous TV and radio outlets to include Fox and Friends, Sean Hannity, and 60 Minutes. Tullian, welcome to the Resolute Men podcast, brother.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob. It's good to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's good. I know we kind of razzed each other in the beginning, man. I know uh, I'm gonna let people know Tullian is a diehard Cowboys fan. And for those that don't know me, I am a diehard Eagles fan. So, this ought to be an yeah. interesting interview.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, when I first saw that you were an Eagles fan, I almost canceled this interview immediately. I thought there is no way that I can, before God and man, be friendly with an Eagles fan. But after talking to you for a few minutes, I thought, eh, this guy's okay, despite the fact that he's an Eagles fan. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I know when I seen you pull out that
0: helmet, And saw that star. I'm like, oh, man, I about lost my lunch. I know. That's so funny.
1: God (laughs) has a great sense of humor.
0: Yep. Well, hey, you know, that's where he he tells, you know, we're to love our brother no matter what. So here we are, man. To love our
1: enemies. Yes. And to love our enemies. (laughs) I'm not sure you're a brother, but I know you're an enemy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, that's it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, man. So again, welcome to the podcast. And uh, I like to do this thing called a triple play round just to kind of get to know you a little bit and just kind of have a little fun and just feel, you know, whatever you feel led to share, man. Love to hear it. So uh, just kind of kick things off here. So which band or musician is your favorite of all time?
1: Oh, boy, that is an impossible question for me to answer I am a music junkie and I like all kinds of music except country death metal and contemporary Christian other than that I pretty much like it all uh, but I have an affinity uh, toward uh, electronic music first and foremost Um, and by electronic music, I mean, there are a variety of different genres in the electronic music world. Um, and some of those genres I like and others I don't like, but stuff that's more like house music, uh, sort of, uh, progressive kind of trance type music. I've been since I was 18 or 19 years old, a junkie when it comes to that stuff. But, uh, I also like rock and always have. So I was uh I grew up in the late 70s and throughout the 80s. So all of the music that came out, all the rock music that came out during that era, I'm a huge, huge fan of and love it. The hard stuff and the sort of and some of even the glam stuff. I liked it all. Um Great. so I um, but I mean, I love absolutely love music. Music reaches me in ways that yeah. very few things can. I've never been a musician, uh, which is something I regret because I love music so much. But for being a non-musician, I am an absolute music junkie. I just love it so. um, But yeah, now that that may be the most important question you ask me in this whole interview.
0: I love it, man. I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of music, too. I grew up in the same genre as you, 70s, 70s and 80s rock. You know, so I've seen all kinds of wild hard rock shows, I could say. <laughs> That'd be a conversation. So let me ask
1: you, though, what, what's your favorite band, if you have uh, one?
0: If I whew, to nail it down at one is tough. Um, wow. Well, let's say, how about if I say what I'm currently listening to now? That kind of ties in. So you know the super group thing is kind of the big thing now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh I like this band called The Dead Daisies. Okay. All right. Okay. particularly before the singer they got now. They got they got a different singer than now, uh Glenn Hughes is a good singer. Um from Deep Purple used to be with, but oh right. to have John Karabi, who used to be with the band called Motley Crew, which I'm sure you uh, know. I know
1: that, yeah.
0: And uh anyway, they got that really good classic hard rock sound, and uh, I nice. like the music. So I, I highly recommend the Dead daisies music. And okay, that's good to times, know. Good song a couple times in concert. And but back in the day, I used to be a G- big Judas Priest fan.
1: Nice <laughs> turbo lover, baby. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that was uh that was my band back in the '80s for sure. And uh you know.
1: I actually messaged Rob Halford. Maybe really? I don't know. Probably four or five months ago, I was scrolling through his Instagram, and I he was saying some things about how he had recently rediscovered yeah. his childhood faith. Yeah, yeah. And I just messaged him, like maybe he'll see this, maybe he won't. Right, right, right. But I just messaged him and encouraged him and said I read that and I was encouraged by that and just, you know, press on. So yeah. he didn't respond. So whether he saw it or not, I don't know, but um, he had, he had quite the voice, man.
0: He did. He did. Quite and I voice. actually just real quick, when I was a young kid in Philly, they had a contest uh, to go see him and he win tickets. And I kind of wrote this poem. They said, write a poem. And I wrote it and he read it. He actually read it. on really? there, I believe. Yeah. And then I ended up getting the tickets when he was like visiting in town and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's cool. super
1: cool. Super yeah. cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I,
1: um, I, uh, I was a big am, I mean, from, you know, sort of that era, um, love rush. Saw them oh, yeah. three times. I did see them um, three times too, man. Did you? Yeah. Yes, I did. They, they were, in fact, if you, if you like that era and that kind of music there are two absolute must buy books you have to get I read them both last summer all right and they're both amazing one is called um oh um nothing but a good time okay and it is a, it is a history the origin and development yep. of sort of the 80s glam rock scene I've heard of starting that with scene. Van Halen Yeah. And then on to sort of modern day. Um, The other one is called Louder Than Hell. And it is a history of heavy metal music, starting with like Black Sabbath to present day. And it covers every genre of heavy metal music you can think of. And it is a comprehensive, basically an encyclopedia uh, and both of those are absolute page turners. They're both about 500 pages and I'm a slow reader. And I read both of them in a, in a matter of a month, both of them. Cover cover. To cover. Loved it. I mean, loved it. It was one, those were two books that I couldn't wait. Whenever I had a free 20 minutes, if I had 20 minutes free, <laughs> and I was like, oh good. I get to read for 20 minutes. Like it was that much fun to read. Wow, wow. So both of them are really, really good. I really good. Check it out. To, yeah.
0: You, you would together. love
1: them. You would love them. And when you read them, then have me back on and all we'll talk about is those books.
0: Hey, man, we can do that. We'll make yeah, it happen, good.
1: Man. All right, so good. Enough
0: we do that. That sounds awesome. That sounds <laughs> awesome. So, hey, what's what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: Oh, man, geez. Uh, it wasn't given directly to me. But it was given uh, to my mother. Mm from her father, Billy Graham, my grandfather. And I actually told this story this past Sunday. Uh, It was uh, a question my mom asked my grandfather during the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal. Mm. And she asked him, she said, Dad, how, how should we as Christians treat those who are guilty, who we know are guilty. How do we, how do we treat sinners in their sin? And his response, which is one of the greatest responses that could ever be given was, honey, it is God's job to change people. It's our job to love people. That's right. Mm -hmm. Stop. And I just, the more I thought about that, I thought that really does simplify my relationship with every human being on earth. Mm. It is not my job to fix anybody. It's not my job to change anybody. Um, it's God's job to do that stuff. Right. So that now frees me up to just love them. Mm. And uh, and if there are things that need to be changed or fixed in that person, um, God will do it. And if he does do it through me, he will do it through my loving of that person. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I've been privileged to have... Uh, a lot of very wise people around me from the moment I came into this world. And I'm incredibly grateful to God for that. Uh, My Mm. dad, uh, my, I mean, members of my family, uh, the men in my family and the women in my family uh, were all very wise and Mm. just the kinds of people, their networks of friends um, that I was around my whole life. So I was privileged to grow up in a family where there was a lot of good advice and a lot of wisdom around me. And so wow. I could probably spend 10 or 12 podcasts talking about the wisdom that was given to me or the best advice that was given to me over the years. But that, that one answer to my mom's question, that one answer by my granddad to my mom's question stands above the rest of my opinion.
0: Man, that's powerful. That's really yeah. powerful. And yeah. it sticks with you. I'll just say this real quick. Uh, uh, mentioning your grandfather, Billy Graham. I mean, I was saved because of him. I was, uh, yeah. it was July 1992. He was at the in Philadelphia at the Veterans Stadium. Uh huh. And it was, uh, in fact, I think it was July 26, 1992. Wow. And I walked out wow. on the field and, and he did the prayer, man. That's awesome. awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, powerful. I
1: never get tired of hearing those stories. I hear them all the time and I'm always grateful to the people who share them with me. It's just, uh, it, it reminds me that God is incredibly gracious mm. uh, and that he, you know, I I, I I didn't ask to be born into this family. I didn't deserve to be born into this family, but God gifted me with such a mm. remarkable heritage. And I could go on and on about my grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather, especially on my mom's side, and just um, how profoundly they impacted me and still do in so many different ways, even though they've been dead now for a while.
0: Man. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Hey, what's the favorite place you've ever traveled?
1: Switzerland. Yeah, without question. Yeah, my dad was born and raised in Switzerland. Okay. Um, And so he was, my dad was, uh, my dad's dad was Armenian from Armenia, a little country down by Turkey. Uh, My dad's mom was from Switzerland. Uh, My dad was born and raised in Switzerland. So French was his mother tongue. Um, we would, when I was young, we went, I don't know, maybe four or five times over there for an extended period of time, maybe a month at a time during the summer. Um, and then I, I went back one other time when I was probably a teenager. Um, and then I went back another time when I was, I think 37 or something like that. Uh, and there is just I've, I've had the privilege of traveling to a lot of different places, mm. um, but there is no place as stunningly breathtaking just in terms of its vast geography than Switzerland. I mean, I and, and I'm I, um, mo- primarily familiar with the French part of Switzerland. So Switzerland is divided up into kind of a there's a French part, a German part, an Italian part because it borders all three of those countries. Mm. The Italian part is the smallest. The German part, I think, is the largest. And then the French part is in between. The French and German part are comparable in terms of size. Um, And so I've spent most of my time in Switzerland when I've gone in the French part, because that's where my dad was from. It's just unbelievable. There's a different smell there. The, you know, if you go to Colorado, for instance, the Rocky Mountains are spectacular. Mm. And there may, let's say there's a 12,000 foot peak, 10,000 foot peak. Um, it's huge and it looks massive, but you're looking at it starting off at 5,000 feet above sea level in Switzerland. It may be a 10 or 12,000 foot peak, but you're starting at sea level. So it looks twice as big, um, Mm. as it would in Colorado. So it's just, it's just breathtaking. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. And it's ironic that I would answer that way because I am a beach guy. Through and through. I was born near the beach. Uh, I grew up near the beach. I currently live by the beach. I just love the beach. The beach is my place of serenity. And yet, if I had to choose to spend 10 days anywhere, it would be Switzerland.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, You know, I've, I've developed it to be a beach guy too. So yeah, I keep telling my wife, we want to retire down in, I don't know if you ever heard of Topsail Island, which is in North Carolina. No.
1: No uh-uh. yeah,
0: yeah, it's awesome. Uh-uh. It's an awesome beach, yeah, it's just yeah, it's not crowded, it's just great places to eat and yeah, fifty yards between you and the next person on the beach, and yeah, it's starting to nice get man. it's starting to get discovered right now though, man, but yeah, it's, it's awesome, I love
1: it, love it yeah, yeah i'm I know, I just I grew up um literally i mean my my mom, I have naturally brown skin and more so than any of my siblings, and my mom is convinced that the reason behind that is they were living on the beach. uh, I mean, you know, across the street from the beach when she was pregnant with me and she said, she went to the beach every single day when she was pregnant with me and she would dig a hole in the sand for her belly and then lay on her stomach (laughs) And she says, that is one of the reasons why I'm convinced you are as brown as you are, because you were literally sort of uh, incubated in the sand on the beach. <laughs> that's, so that's awesome. who knows? Yeah, I, know. I love, so it, I love the beach. It's in my it's in my blood.
0: Oh, man, I, I, I love it, too, man. I love it, too. So, hey, let's dive into some questions here. Um, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, you know, you got a unique testimony. Um, and just an interesting story. So I want to give you a moment to kind of share a little bit about yourself, and and then if you like, what you're currently doing now.
1: Yeah, sure, man. Um, so we've already alluded to this, but I was I was born into a Christian home. Um, my uh, I'm the middle of seven children, so I have two older brothers and an older sister, and and, and two younger brothers and a younger sister. Uh, the the feel in my home growing up was really warm and hospitable and fun and loving. I tell people all the time that there was a tremendous amount of laughter. Sarcasm is my family love language. <laughs> um, my, my dad was a brilliant man. Uh, he was um, a psychologist, um, well-educated, um, PhD my mom, of course, grew up as the oldest child of Billy and Ruth Graham, so she was exposed to a lot of great things growing up, too. They got married when he was 23, and my mom, my dad was 23, and my mom was 17, and they started having kids immediately. So there's a 20-year gap between my oldest brother and my youngest brother. Wow. Um, the, she had her first child when she was 18, and her last child when she was 38. Um, so there was just a lot of fun, a lot of... I mean, it was dysfunctional like any other family, but I have basically no complaints whatsoever about my upbringing. I mean, I loved that there was no question mm-hmm. in my mind that my mom and dad loved me. They were encouraging. They were enjoyable. They taught us about God. They always taught us to take God seriously, but to never ever take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it was a great way to grow up. A uh, big house, a lot of land so we could run around, a lot of outdoors, just, you know, so anyway, um, and and I don't know exactly what the, what the reason for this is, but um, maybe it's because I was a, a middle child. At times I felt like the youngest of the older three. At other times I felt like the oldest of the younger three. Um, sometimes I felt like an only child. Um, so I, I, maybe it's a birth order thing, but I, um about, I don't know. 12, 13, 14 years old, maybe, I just started getting kind of restless. And I wasn't really sure where I fit inside my home. So I set out to try and figure out where I fit outside my home. And and when you're young and desperate and wanting to belong, uh, you make some pretty stupid and destructive decisions Mm -hmm. um, in order to accomplish those goals. And I did. Uh, and my uh, lifestyle became so destruct- destructive and disruptive to the rest of the household that my parents were like, listen, we love you. Mm. And and you're always, uh, you will always be our son. But if you're going to continue living this way, you can't live this way under our roof. I mean, we're, you know, we've got other kids to take care of. Um, and so at 16 years old, I dropped out of high school. I got kicked out of my home. And I was thrilled about this arrangement. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, I was living in South Florida, just, I was living in Fort Lauderdale and, and, um, there is a lot to do down there. If you're, if you're young and you want to have fun. And, um, and at this point I had now no teachers breathing down my neck or parents looking over my shoulder. So I was finally free to pursue all the things I wanted to pursue and do all the things I wanted to do. Um, and that was pleasurable for a season, Mm. but that season came to an end for me when I was about 21. And it wasn't one particular crisis or one particular event. It was just this culminating sense of there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. Mm. And very much like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus talks about, um, God kind of brought me to my senses and I, you know, metaphorically made my way home. Um, And so – my parents, of course, you know, were thrilled about this. They welcomed me with open arms. Their lost son had finally come home spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, but I knew that in some way, shape, or form, I wanted to spend my time and energy telling as many people as would listen about this amazingly gracious God mm. who relentlessly pursues rebels like me. I mean, I, one of the reasons I think I walked away from Christianity as a teenager is because even though my parents didn't teach me this, I kind of got the impression from the churches I went to or the Christian schools I went to, the youth groups that I went to, that sort of thing. I kind of got the impression that Christianity was for good, clean people who kind of had everything together. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was not a good, clean person who had everything together. In fact, I was pretty aware of the fact that I was was a bad, selfish kid. Uh, And I reveled in it. I enjoyed it. I wasn't apologizing for it. I loved it. Um, But I also realized that, okay, Christianity must therefore not be for me if it's for good, clean people who like to keep the rules and have their life together. So when God saved me... um, at 21 and rescued me, I always say it was the hound of heaven tracked me down and magnificently defeated me. Um, I had a picture of God at that point that was very different than the one that I had, um, developed over the years. The God that saved me was an amazingly gracious, unconditionally loving, outrageously merciful God who persistently came after me, even though I did not deserve his pursuit at all. Mm And I was thinking about all of my friends and people that I've been running around with for years who uh, needed to hear about this version of God. Maybe not the version they heard in church growing up or the version that they heard from somewhere, some, I mean, from someone somewhere along the way. Right. But this is a God who loves bad and weak people who mm. fail because bad and weak people who fail are all that there are and so I wanted to spend my, the rest of my life telling people, whoever would listen. I didn't know what form that would take. Um, in any event, I, I eventually made my way to co- – I got married uh, at 21, and I started college. Um, uh, I went – I didn't know what I was going to do after college. I just knew I wanted to study. I wanted to learn. Now that God had sort of opened my eyes, I wanted to study and learn. I became a bookworm overnight. And, uh, and I wanted to, and I, I, for whatever reason, I gravitated toward philosophy. And so I majored in philosophy by the time I graduated college, I was 25, I think 24, 25, um, 25, I was 25 when I graduated college, um, married with two kids at that point. I had two kids while I was in college. Um, and then immediately went to graduate school, went to seminary. Cause at that point I knew, okay, I, I think. God's given me a gift to communicate and he's given me a hunger to learn. And there's a, I want to be able to learn and then communicate. Mm. So I went to seminary thinking maybe I'll be a preacher who knows. Uh, And lo and behold, that's exactly what God called me to be. So after seminary, I went to Knoxville, Tennessee with my family for two years and served on staff at a large church there. And then I moved back down to Fort Lauderdale in 2003 to start a church uh, at the request of a group of people. And when that church was five years old, it merged with another church that was down the road, a much larger, more famous church down the road. Uh, and I was at that church for seven years. Um, and then in 2015, my life came crashing down. I was, professionally speaking, I was a uh, I was on the rise. I was pastoring a very large, well-known church. My sermons were on TV every week around the world. My sermons were on the radio every day. Um, I was writing a book a year, traveling extensively around the country, speaking at various events, conferences, churches, whatnot, universities. Um, and uh, and then it all came crashing down in 2015.
0: That was part one of my interview with Talian Chavijan. Check out part two as we continue to learn more about Talian's journey and his call back into the ministry. Thanks for listening to the Resolute Man podcast. You can check out previous episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join the conversation with us on Instagram
1: and on ResoluteMan.org.